From the rugged desert outside Yuma, Arizona, this is Outpost Outspoken. Outpost Outspoken is the official podcast of U.S. Army Yuma Proving Ground, which conducts natural environment testing of military equipment in Arizona, Alaska, and the tropics. Hello, I'm Mark Schauer. The history of armed conflict is littered with the debris of military equipment that worked fine in fair weather, but failed when the going got rough. Cold Regions Test Center at Fort Greeley, Alaska is the Department of Defense's only natural environment cold weather test facility. With winter temperatures routinely falling far below zero, the cold wind and snow of CRTC puts military equipment through a punishing trial. We spoke with Jeff Lipscomb, CRTC's technical director, about why cold weather testing is more important than ever and about the CRTC workforce's service to the national defense and their local community. Jeff, thank you so much for being here today. No problem. Always a pleasure to be here in Yuma. Can you tell me about why cold weather testing in a natural environment is important? Well, absolutely. If, if we expect soldiers to operate in those environments and with the current Arctic strategy that the Army released earlier this year, it is imperative that we have equipment that's going to work whenever and wherever the soldiers need it, including in the extreme natural environments, the, the cold and particularly in the Arctic. Now, in terms of capabilities that Cold Regions Test Center brings to bear, it's, it's fairly similar to, say, Yuma Test Center, right? You do similar testing just in a cold environment, right? Yeah, I, I'd say we're a little more um, rustic even than, than Yuma is as far as capability. We don't have a lot of labs. We don't have dynamometers. We don't have a lot of those things. We, we really are out in the natural environment, generally with production representative systems. We try to put soldiers on those systems whenever we can so we get that early user feedback for the, for the PM and the program. And, and really, our lab is the outdoors. So we're out there, you know, when it's cold, trying to make sure stuff's going to work right in that environment. I mean, to, to work full-time at CRTC, these folks have to be pretty rugged individuals as well as technically competent, right? Well, absolutely. And, you know, our motto is rugged professionals. Uh, and, and it can be... Um, interesting it was 103 degrees colder at the fairbanks airport than it was when i arrived here at yuma earlier this week uh, you know we went from minus 22 to 81 above so yeah it's a, it's a different world but uh you know our summers are great I, I always tell people we live in the winter so we could or we live with the winter so we can live in the summer those endless days and around the solstice and everything and yeah, yeah, we have three months. It doesn't get dark. <laughs> no, I, I got to tell you, interior Alaska in the summertime has to be the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my life. Certainly one of them. Wow. Now, see, like Yuma Test Center, too, you also do testing for private industry customers as well as military customers. Yeah, absolutely, and primarily it's automotive. Uh, you know, they like to come there in the early fall because they can get temperatures and ice and snow long before they can get it at their tracks down the lower 48 or in Canada. So they come early and generally they leave, you know, around Thanksgiving to Christmas time and go back to their home tracks and test sites. But this year we had several, including, you know, uh, Chrysler and Ford and um, a couple of electronic uh, vehicle manufacturers. 
So yeah, we generally have four or five automotive manufacturers that are up testing next year's newest uh, handling and other other issues that they want to look at. They do the testing for themselves on our facilities. And the facilities you have are pretty impressive. You have a large oval track and yeah, the, the, our track um, was the first uh, large oval in ATEC. It was the first one that was built. Uh, back in 2005 and now that you know of course there's the the track here at Yuma and there's also one at Aberdeen now but we generally have the same capabilities as both Yuma and Aberdeen as far as those automotive tests on on the tracks on the slopes on lateral acceleration pads. Now here in Yuma County Yuma Test Center is the largest single employer of civilians in the county. Now, I expect up in Delta Junction Alaska cold regions test center even though you've only got couple 50. score people or so yeah you're still a large major employer and a big presence in the community yeah i would say we're probably the fourth largest employer there you know um because we only have 50 full-time employees the uh the missile field obviously you know the the national guard is obviously much bigger it's a whole battalion you know almost 600 people total that that deal with things out there at the missile field and then the pipeline company employs more people than we do, and the school district actually has a, a few more people than we do. Let's see, a lot of the CRTC folks, like here at Umatest Center, for instance, very involved in the local community in their personal lives, too. You've had uh, uh, one of your people was on the city council in Delta Junction, I remember. Uh, I remember some years back, the, the mud bog races that, that CRTC provided an apparatus to help that keep going. Can you talk about some of the community involvement of CRTC and its people? Well, you know, it, it's a very small community, you know, um, as, you, as you know, you having been there. The city of Delta Junction is about 800 people, and the whole entire area is about 4,000. You know, when I say entire area, we're talking, you know, if you draw a circle 50 miles in, in, in uh, diameter, you get about 4,000 people. So in a small community like that, you know, it's the same people that are involved in lots of things. You know, we have folks who are Boy Scout leaders um, on the school board, like you mentioned, you know, on the city council. Um, you know, people who are working with all the youth sports and, and all those things. It just, we're just doing things as much as we can, you know, and of course, you know, with the rules that have changed over the years, CRTC as an organization can't do the, as many things as, as we used to be able to do, but our individuals are still all out there, you know, super involved in, in everything that's going on. It's a small community, everybody's doing everything. Do you think the, cult, the professional culture of CRTC and that, that spirit of service that these folks have in their personal lives, do you think there's a relation there? There probably is, you know, we, I'm the luckiest tech director in ATEC with my workforce. You know, we are the only test center that has 100% of our slots filled, and that has been the case now for about 11 months. We haven't had a vacancy. Um, you know, so people come to CRTC, and for whatever reason, they seem to like it for the most part. Um, you know, nobody's always happy, but I think we have we have a great workforce. They're dedicated to the mission. If I have any problem, it's holding them back. Jeff Lipscomb, thank you so much for visiting with us today. Uh, no problem. Anytime, Mark. Since the World Trade Center and Pentagon were attacked in 2001, 
The federal government annually spends upwards of $15 billion on counterterrorism efforts. The FBI reports that more than 50 terrorist plots against the United States have been foiled since the attacks of September 11th, as were multiple attacks in decades prior to that fateful day. A common theme in successful counterterrorism operations is people reporting and following up on suspicious activity, whether it's law enforcement officials or ordinary citizens. We spoke with YPG anti-terrorism officer Alfonso Brown about this and about his broader service to the community. Alfonso, welcome. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about what you do as anti-terrorism officer at Human Proving Ground. As the uh, ATEC anti-terrorism officer, there's an installation person and there's an ATEC officer. So as an ATEC person, it's my job to inform the senior commander on different aspects of threats that affect the test mission downrange. So a lot of the stuff we're doing has something to do with a test that's going on downrange or maybe even who's coming to visit a test. So a lot of times we're thinking about, you know, what, what we, can we do to protect that asset that the commander has downrange or to protect the privacy of the, of the test mission that they're conducting. And a, and a lot of times that entails being with the personnel that's down there or working with the directors here within the garrison or, the, or within the ATEC headquarters to figure out how we're gonna do a better job of protecting the assets, which is the commander's overall mission. Now, obviously you rely on the ATEC employees to help you with this. We do. So a lot of times we have to get with them to Im increase our force protection measures for ATEC, you know, the installation puts out measures and then we have to come behind those and put additional measures in place to protect assets, like I said before, the, involving the commander's overall mission with uh, testing. Usually everything we do has something to do with how to protect or eliminate threats to the commander's mission. Can the general public assist with this? They can. If you see something or hear something that doesn't sound right, you know, say something. There's always a number or a hotline to the installation you can call. They can call my office, they can call uh, the installation guy, which is Charlie Johnson. He's also the anti-terrorism officer. You can call him, but you can also call any of the hotline numbers on YPG. And basically it's about see something, say something. Usually if it doesn't feel right to us, to someone and it's probably not right, and let us determine whether that's something valid or not valid. Just, you know, report it, always report. See, in recent years, there's a lot of other things in people's bandwidth, public health and so on. Do you think anti-terrorism vigilance might have been threatened by that a little bit? Yes, absolutely, and that's that's why I'm trying to get ahead of it. You know, that's why we're incre increasing the way we're doing anti-terrorism, ramping up the things we're trying to do. Um, we're aware that there's other things that are going on socially or society-wise right now that that have taken a little bit of precedence. But at the same time, you know, we still have to be vigilant about what we're talking about, where we're going, what we're doing, and who we're interacting with, because there's always variables out there in play, and everybody's not always on the on the right up and up when it comes to what they're looking for, their agendas when it comes to terrorism. There's a lot of people around the installation that have ulterior motives because they know we test so many things here. How concerned should people be about the anti-terrorism threat? You should always be concerned. I think you should always be moderately to very concerned about the threat because threats happen because we get relaxed. So anytime we start getting to the point where we're not concerned about the threat or we feel like there is no threat, then that's when threats happen because our adversaries are always looking for those windows of opportunity to, to, to seize the moment through the things we throw away or the things that we say or people we come into contact with through casual conversation or even sometimes just through your family members. You know, sometimes the things you say at home, you know, have a way of getting themselves back to the wrong people and, and, and that's, a, that's a breakage in the, in the force protection level of the installation. Do you think people should be vigilant with their social media activity? Especially 
especially that because a lot of people post a lot of things on Facebook and their Instagram and Twitter pages, which is fine to post certain things, but you have to know what aspect of what you're posting crosses the line where it's no longer just in general conversation and being specific about details of the test mission or where you're working at on a piece of equipment can affect what we're doing out there because we don't, YPG is the size of Rhode Island. It's a lot of ground to protect. And when adversaries know how to get where we're trying to go before we get there, then, then it's hard to you know, isolate those people off. Let's see, you've been here about seven years now. Seven years, yes. And very active in the community the whole time. I know you coach youth football at Hilo Ridge, Hilo Ridge High School. I did, yeah, I do. I coach at Hilo Ridge High School, start out in Pop Warner High School, um, did two years with Pop Warner, then uh, did my last five years at Hilo Ridge. I love it, uh, coach defensive backs there now. Uh, we had a pretty good run two years ago. Last year had a good run, and this year, kind of in a rebuild phase, but I like being around the kids. The kids respond well to the message I put out there. So as long as the kids are responding to what I, I'm trying to teach them or the, or the things I think are important for young men and women to learn, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay out there and keep doing it. I enjoy it. You think sports is good for building character in young people? Sports is good for a lot of things. Uh, team building, if, no matter what you do, in today's world, you're gonna have to do team building. So team building is an exercise that sports teaches you all the time. So team building, communicating with others, a lot of times, you know, we get trapped in a world of phones and uh, isolating ourselves off because of technology, but sports forces you to have to communicate on a different level and make adjustments to the way you want to do things versus the way somebody else does. So there's always that compromise window. So sports also does a lot of things for, you know, youth as far as communication goes. Alfonso Brown, thank you so much for no talking problem. with us today. Thank you very much. Contracting officer representative, human native Keith Ware is part of a team that oversees hundreds of millions of dollars in contracts. It's important and exacting work, just like service on a local school board. We spoke with Mr. Ware about what inspired him to serve on the board of Yuma Elementary School District Number 1 in his spare time, and about his family's long legacy of service to the community and nation. Keith, what inspired you to apply for the vacancy on the District 1 School Board recently? I was inspired by my father-in-law, Danny Bryant. He's served on a number of community boards in Yuma. Uh, I've watched him influence and uh, improve the quality for the Yuma community. And he's been dedicated for decades. And, and, I, and I've observed the personal gratification uh, seeing a, the community grow and prosper uh, based on his serving on boards. Uh, and, and that's really the inspiration I have. He's the one who pointed out the article in the paper that, that I responded to. And he continues to encourage me to you know, serve the, my community. It's one that I've, I've loved and, and born and raised here. Uh, raised, I've raised, raised my children here. I've got uh, a grandson that's gonna grow up here in this community. I've got roots, my, fam my wife's family's here. Now, it sounds like there's a lot of long record of service on your wife's side of the family, but I know that there is on your side of the family too. Among other things, your grandfather, Major General Keith Elware, Congressional Medal of Honor winner during World War II, very distinguished Army career. You want to talk about your famous grandfather a little bit? My grandfather, uh, 
he really has been the core of my commitment in the, my service in the Air Force, my joining the Air Force and serving the country. Um, never met him, obviously. He, he died in Vietnam. But the legacy that he's left behind for our family and for the nation has, has been amazing. I've, I've continued to this day run into people that have either served under him or have family members that did. And every one of them has had po something positive to say. Uh, my grandmother to this day still uh, attends award ceremonies and supports communities when they have celebrations or, or uh, are honoring military members such as my grandfather. Among other things, the Army Public Affairs Awards are named in your grandfather's honor because one of his positions during his Army career was as the Chief of Public Affairs for the Army. Yes, I believe there's a recipient here or was a recipient here at YPG. Our Outpost newspaper won it in 1998 for Best Small Army Newspaper, a Keith Elware Award. It hangs proudly in the foyer of the Public Affairs Office. Yes. So what are your goals serving on the District 1 School Board? My goals are to focus on the quality of education and availability of education for the children and keeping that in the forefront of my mind and you know, as a team member on the board, focusing on that quality and availability of education. It's, that's important, it, shaping the children with their education is going to continue to grow our community. They are our future. And uh, the quality and availability of education, I think, is, is a foundation that is built on, uh, that serves our community and any community they happen to move on to. Keith Ware, thanks so much for being with us today. Not a problem, it's my pleasure, thank you. This has been Outpost Outspoken. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time from the Army's busiest test center.